If you're here for the first time, I have to let you know we're in the almost at the end of a 10-week series. It's the seventh week of a 10-week series, and uh, it's been titled Live Like Jesus. The reason we titled it that is because in the first week, we realized something. It's pretty obvious. None of us is ever going to be like Jesus. We're not going to be Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, a student is never greater than his teacher. It's enough for the student to become like his teacher. And that's where we got the title for the series, Live Like Jesus. And what we've done during the first six weeks, actually the first few weeks, we followed the earthly ministry of Jesus from its very beginning up through the point where he started to teach. And in the, the very first thing he did was be baptized. Jesus went down into the Jordan River. He was baptized when he came up out of the water. Uh, the Holy Spirit came down from heaven in the form of a dove, landed on him, and he received the Holy Spirit. And then his father from heaven spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that was the official beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he went off. Then he was actually driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days of temptation. And during that week, the sec- I guess it was the third week of the series, we talked about winning the war over temptation by using the only weapon that God gave us. And Jesus showed us that weapon by overcoming the devil with three specific temptations. Anybody remember what the weapon is? Sword of the Spirit, right? The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Has anybody been using the sword the last few weeks? All right, I see some heads nodding, that's good. And then the next week what we did, Pastor Brad preached a powerful message about the kingdom of God because when Jesus, after temptation, started his earthly ministry, the first thing he said was, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent means to change our mind, literally that's what it means, or to turn around and go in the opposite direction of the direction we're heading. And, uh, and so after that he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, the interesting thing about Henry Blackaby's comments the other night on Friday night is Henry Blackaby, he's uh, like 80-some years old. He's been studying the Word of God pretty much all of his life. He's been a, a pastor, a missionary. He's written dozens of books along with his sons, all of whom are pastors or teachers in seminaries. And uh, he said that as he has studied the, the Word of God and the passages about the kingdom of God, he believes the time when Jesus is going to return is very near. Now, I know there are a lot of people that think that, and I really don't listen that much when they tell me that because they're sort of wackos. But Henry Blackaby is no wacko. And he said the signs of the times are it's not going to be long till Jesus comes back. Well, Jesus said at the very beginning of his ministry the kingdom of God is near. And it's never been nearer than it is right now. So we need to understand that living as followers of Jesus in this world right now is crucial because we have the opportunity to share the kingdom with others. And then the next week what we did is we turned to Two weeks of what Jesus' followers are and what Jesus' followers do. And in those two weeks, we turn to this Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Pastor Brad once again led us through the Beatitudes, and he gave us nine attitudes for being like Jesus. And then last week, we talked about what Jesus' disciples or followers do, and that is we live as salt and light in a dark and tasteless world. So those are the first seven weeks, or first six weeks, I should say. And here today, even though it's uh, the seventh week of a 10-week series, it's like we're having a new series. Because the last four weeks of the series are all 101s. Discipline 101, Compassion 101, Faith and Healing 101, and Belonging 101. So if you're here for the first time, it's really like we're starting a four-week series. And today is Discipline 101. We're gonna talk about the disciplines necessary to be like Jesus. 
And then next week, you're definitely going to want to be here next week because our director of student ministries, Mark Lutz, is going to preach. If you've never heard Mark preach, he is, I mean, he makes me look like I'm, you know, sitting in a rocking chair. He's an amazing young man of God. And so anyway, you're going to want to be here as he talks about compassion, which literally means to suffer with. And he's going to talk about how Jesus gave compassion and how he empowers us to live compassionate lives. Then the next week, we're going to do... uh, uh, a 101 called Faith and Healing 101. And during those services, each of the services, we're gonna have a special time at the end of the message for people to come forward for prayer, for healing, for anything, spiritual healing, physical healing, um, just giving you a, a, a heads up. But we always have uh, people here to pray with you after worship, so you don't have to wait for two weeks. But we believe in practicing what we're learning because that's how transformation comes. So a special time for healing and prayer two weeks from today. And then the last one in the series is Belonging 101. There are a lot of churches in the world who have the idea that if you behave like they behave and you believe like they believe, then you can belong to their church. Well, Jesus sort of did things the opposite. He took a guy named Matthew who was a very bad sinner, if there is such a thing as a very bad sinner. We're all sinners, right, before we know Jesus. Anyway, and he said, hey, why don't you come and be one of my followers? I mean, people's heads would have been turning. Are you kidding me? A tax collector is one of your followers? What did he do? He didn't do anything except, you know, rob people, basically. So that's how he gets to belong to the disciples. But after Matthew became part of the group, he started to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And he started to believe that the things that Jesus said were true. And eventually, he behaved like Jesus. So we're going to talk about belong, believe, and then behave. So that's what that is about. But today, it's discipline. If I say the word discipline, what do you think? I know there's two really divergent ideas about discipline that come into most people's minds. First, discipline is like that. I'm going to smack your butt. I'm going to whip you alongside the head. That is not discipline. That is punishment. Punishment is intended to stop a negative behavior. When somebody does, you know, commits a crime in, in most cultures around the world, they are punished. The idea is to stop the negative behavior, but that's not discipline. Discipline is correcting. Discipline is training. Discipline is teaching. It's encouraging. And so when we talk about discipline today, we're going to talk about those things and not about punishment. The other thing people think about when we hear the word discipline, mostly we think about athletes. Because athletes discipline themselves. In other words, they, they train. They, they have a certain regimen. Our daughter, Abby, when she started college, she was a Division II basketball player. And she didn't understand what that meant until she actually got to the school. And she had to get up at, you know, at 6 o'clock in the morning, she had to be lifting weights. Then sometime during the day, she had to do a one-on-one with one of the coaches. And then sometime during the day, she had to go to an optional practice. And the reason I put the optional there is because if you didn't go to it, you were never going to play. And then in the evening, you had a team workout. So there were four times a day she was supposed to be doing something that had to do with basketball. And that was uh, six days a week. They did give Sunday off. So that's what discipline can mean. It can mean training to accomplish a certain thing. And discipline certainly means that. We're going to look at three specific disciplines to be followers of Jesus. And then the last thing a discipline can be is just a habit. It's a habit that we form. We something we do regularly uh, to make our lives better. And certainly a discipline is a habit in that regard. Or Yeah, it is a habit as we're looking at it today. So... 
Before we turn to the Gospel of Matthew, and if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them to Matthew chapter 6. We're returning to the Sermon on the Mount once again today, or your you know, Bible apps or whatever. The, the message, is, or I should say the scripture, will be on the screen, but I think you might want to have your Bible open if you have your Bible, because uh, we're going to look at the first 18 verses of Matthew 6, and we're going to look at three disciplines. Before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for sending Jesus to give us life that is truly life, here and now and forever. And today as we turn to your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and that you would use this time to glorify yourself, that you would make us more disciplined in our minds, in our hearts, in our bodies, our souls and spirits, that we might live as your followers more and more and be more and more like Jesus. We ask this prayer in his name. Amen. Before we turn to the word, let's actually look at today's take-home point. For those of you who are first-time guests, we seek to make one point here at New Life every week. Here it is, although this one point is in three parts. So the point is this. Giving, prayer, and fasting are the primary disciplines of Jesus' followers. The point is, there are three primary disciplines. There are more than three, but these three are the ones Jesus tells us are most important. Giving, prayer, and fasting. So now let's turn to Matthew 6, verse 1, and see what Jesus said. Jesus said, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need... Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Does it surprise you that the first discipline Jesus mentions is not prayer? It's not Bible reading. It's giving. The first discipline of a Christian is giving. Now, If you actually think about it, it wouldn't be a surprise because the most famous verse, I would say, in the New Testament, maybe in the whole Bible, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So God is a giver and Jesus gave his life on the cross of Calvary so that we can be forgiven of our sins and have a new life. So giving is the first discipline of followers of Jesus. And every time that I go to Cuba, and I've been there four times now, that the leadership in the, they're called superintendents of a district, a certain general geographical area of Cuba, always want us to talk about giving. Because it's a very difficult thing to talk about in Cuba. The reason is, the average Cuban, regardless if you're a doctor, a lawyer, a ditch digger, whatever, you make 25 bucks a month. Let me say that again, 25 bucks a month. Now, certainly the government gives you a little bit of beans, a little bit of rice, some cheese, some other kind of things. You get your monthly stipend, but it's never enough. So Cubans never have enough money, and so the the leadership wants the Americans to come in and talk about giving. Now, you realize how hard that is for an American to go in and talk to a group of people who make $25 a month. Back in January, we did a series called Generous Giving. You might remember in that series, the first message was called Congratulations, You're Rich. And I said, if you make $37,000 a year as a family, that you're more wealthy than 96% of the people in the world. Well, I can't say that in Cuba. 
In Cuba, $37,000, they couldn't even dream of $37,000 a year. That's 120 times what they make in a year's time. So I can't go to Cuba and say, hey, congratulations, you're rich. Pretty much I have to say, congratulations, you're poor. Now here's the thing. When Jesus was speaking to the people that we, uh, you know, heard about here in, in Matthew 6, those people what were what we would consider poor too. And what did Jesus say? When you give. He didn't say if you give. He said when you give, poor people, don't show off. But before we get to the show off, let me, here's, what I, here's what I actually did with the Cubans. I said, I want you to know something. God owns everything. God owns everything. Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, he owns it. And he gives it to us to, to use to his glory. We can give to God and to others to, to benefit them. And the thing is, the more we have, the more responsibility we have to be generous with what we have. And they can understand that. You know, I mean, they have a little. I mean, a little. All of them do. But they understand generosity because they've received the, the, the grace and, and life and truth of God and the love of God into their lives. And so they get that. And we can get that, and we have more and more opportunity every day, probably most of us, to be generous givers. But Jesus said, when you give, don't be like the hypocrites. What hypocrites? The church people, the religious leaders of the day. Here's what they did. They had some money. Actually, they had a lot of money, more than most people. And they would get some people to go out and find some beggars on the street, and there were beggars everywhere. Every town in, in Israel had beggars because there was no welfare system. If you were born handicapped in any way, you probably were going to be sitting beside the roadside you know, with a gray beggar shawl, shawl on, which said you had the right to beg. And somebody, if somebody didn't come and give you some money, alms they called it, you wouldn't eat that day. So they would find some beggar and, and they would go out and they would have somebody get a trumpet or a horn of some kind and they'd go, blow the horn, do, 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 look at me. And everybody would turn their head to that person and, and, and then, then they would give the money. And everybody would go, wow, look how generous that man is. And Jesus said, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Don't show off when you give because if that's what you do, that's not even giving. In fact, that's, that's all the reward you'll ever get is the praise of people. If you want the praise of your Father in heaven, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you give. It's not something that you show off about. It's not something that you tell other people about. It's something that you do in private. And he says, if you do it that way, God will bless you. God will reward you. So that's what he says about giving. Giving is the first discipline. And when we give, we do it in a certain way, in a way that glorifies God and benefits others. Then he talks about prayer. This is what we would expect. When you talk about prayer, Jesus says this, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them, I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Isn't it interesting? It's the very same instruction that he gave about giving. When you pray, don't be like a hypocrite. Don't show off when you pray. Go find a place where nobody is, maybe in your closet, maybe in your bedroom, I don't know, wherever you like to find a place by yourself and pray. And when you pray to God in that condition, God will hear your prayer and he will reward you. Now, does that mean we should never pray? 
that we should never pray out loud. And Like here, today I prayed out loud. Should we not do that? Of course we should do that. You see, Jesus told us in another place, when two or more of are gathered, we should pray together. We should pray for each other's needs. We should pray for each other's concerns. We should pray for each other's losses and grief. But what he's saying here is, prayer is between God and us. It's something that is to develop our relationship with him. It's something that's supposed to be a connection between the living God of the universe through his son Jesus and us. And we can do that in a group, but when we do that in a group, we need to make sure that it isn't that we're saying words a certain way so people will think we have great words. Or that we pray so long that people say, wow, I could never pray that long. Because that's not the point of prayer. In fact, he goes on to say, there's actually three specific aspects of prayer. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. In some religions, people believe if you just say the same prayer over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, eventually you'll get what you ask for. It's sort of like when your children are little and they go, Daddy, 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 Daddy. Pretty soon you wear down a little bit, right? And you go, okay, what do you want? You know, don't do that. He says, don't do that. Because God already knows what you need before you ask. And some people say, well, if he already knows, then why do I have to ask at all? Because to build a relationship, there needs to be communication. And God wants us to say, this is what I need, and I trust you to give it. And then go on about our life. We don't have to beg, because God wants to do good for us. We don't have to go on and on and on and on, because God already knows. So we ask God, God, please meet this need in my life, and then we go on about our life, trusting that God will do what's best for us. And then Jesus gives a very extensive um, idea of what our prayer should consist of as we pray. It should include these elements. We call this the Lord's Prayer, and it is a prayer that we can pray together, but more than a prayer that we pray together, it's a prayer that gives us a model of the areas of of our prayer life that should be included. He says this, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So let's look at these aspects of prayer as it ought to be. The first thing we pray is our Father. It talks about relationship, doesn't it? Our It doesn't say my Father. When you pray, say my Father. He is my Father. He's your Father. But he's our Father. So we... We pray to a God who wants us to relate to each other. Our Father. And Father, that's a word that doesn't mean a lot to some people. In fact, some people's fathers, like mine was one of them, wasn't that good of a father. And if that's what God is like, then I don't really want to pray to him at all. But that's not what it says. Our Father, he's our heavenly Father. And he, if you think of the best father that there ever has been in the planet, and multiply that by infinity, that's how our heavenly Father is. So whatever our earthly father was like, forget about that, but think of the perfect being who created everything, who created us and loves us with with an infinite and never-ending love. That's who we're praying to. And then he says, may your name be kept holy. Now this is very important because you know sometimes we tend to get a little too familiar with God as if he's our buddy. He's not our buddy. 
God is the God of the universe. When the Jews heard Jesus say, when you pray, say, our Father, they went, oh, no, no, you can't talk to, you can't talk to God like that. God is this transcendent, infinite, powerful being. And we don't even say his name because God has a name. It's Yahweh or Jehovah, depends on how you translate you know, the, the Hebrew word. But whenever the Jews would come to that name in the scriptures, they would switch it out and they would say Adonai, which means Lord, because they wouldn't even say his name. And now Jesus is saying, say, our Father? And the, and the truth is that we, we want to be close to God, but we need to understand he's holy, he's perfect, he's never going to change. You know, he can't change. He's perfect, and, and, and he's just, and he's good, and all of those things, and, and we need to remember that. So that's the second thing we remember when we pray. And then he says, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's a very important prayer. I love this part of the prayer, because what it says is that God has a purpose for us. Our purpose is to extend his kingdom in the world. Our purpose is to remember that God's kingdom is perfect already in heaven. It's not perfect here. Bad stuff happens every single day on this planet because of sin, because of ignorance, because of our turning away from God at some point. But God is reestablishing his kingdom. He's been about the purpose of reestablishing his kingdom ever since Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. And we get to participate Everywhere we do God's will, God's kingdom shows up there. And we are supposed to extend God's kingdom and keep doing that until it ultimately comes when Jesus returns. You see, there is going to be a day when there's not going to be any more death. There's not going to be any more tears, no more mourning, crying, none of that. No more cemeteries. But that's not here yet. Until that day comes, we're supposed to pray for that day to come, and we're supposed to participate in it. Then what does he say next? He says, give us today the food we need. Now it says, you know, it really says, give us today our daily bread. Actually, it really says, give us today our bread for tomorrow. That's what it really says in the Greek. So we want to, to know that God will provide for us. And for Americans, that's a really tough thing for us to pray, because we don't need God to provide our daily stuff. We already have our daily stuff. If you only make $25 a month, this prayer makes a lot of sense because you go to your cupboard and there's no food there. But if you make $25 an hour or $25 a minute, it's a little more difficult to remember that you need God to provide. But always remember this, even the ability to work is a gift from God. So no matter how much we have, it came from God. And that's what Jesus wants us to remember. Every day, we're to rely on God for our sustenance. And then it says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And actually, this is so important that Jesus actually added a couple of extra statements after the prayer. He said, if you forgive those who are sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgiveness is so important that if we don't forgive others, we may not be forgiven. That's what Jesus said. Not me, that's what Jesus said. And forgiveness, I, I almost considered forgiveness another discipline of the Christian life because it is so hard. It's, in fact, you know the old saying, to err is human, to forgive is divine. That's true. Forgiveness is a gift of God. And once we receive it, we're to pass it on to others. When I was, when I was in Cuba, I, we were praying one Wednesday night 
uh, of the week we were there, we were at a church and we were praying for people for healing. And as I was praying for this one woman, God impressed on my, my heart that um, the woman needed to forgive somebody. And through the translator, I said, would you please ask her if there's somebody that she hasn't forgiven, somebody that she needs to forgive. And, and, and as, I, as the translator said that, she just went into uncontrollable sobs. And she said, see, yes, there is somebody. And I said, if you want to receive the healing you're asking for in your life, you, you need to forgive that person right now. And as she, and she did, as she forgave, you could actually see a transformation in her face. It was like there was, there was turmoil in her face and it went away. And a peace came to her face that it was wonderful to see. And so I would ask this question of all of us this morning. Is there anyone we haven't forgiven? Somebody maybe long, long ago who hurt us. Maybe somebody yesterday or today who hurt us. And we're holding on to that. And what Jesus says is, you know, if we don't forgive, then we're not going to be able to receive the forgiveness, enjoy the forgiveness that God has for us. And one of the most helpful things I've ever heard in this area is, is Pastor Mark Geppert's forgiveness prayer, he calls it. He says this, we say, Father, I forgive every person, living or dead, who has ever used me, abused me, or hurt me in any way. And this is the hard part. And I release them to you that you may bless them. And when we do that, we get peace that we can't get any other way. So as we look at this prayer, right in the center of it is this idea of forgiveness. God forgave us through his death, his son's death on the cross. He paid a, the greatest of all possible costs. And so what, when we're offended, we must forgive. And then he says, that we are supposed to not yield to, let us not yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Sin is real. Evil is real. And, and what Jesus is saying is we need the power of God in our life to overcome it. We have the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, and we need to use it in the power of the Holy Spirit in order to overcome evil and temptation in our lives. And it does say um, the evil one. That's the, that's the best translation of that passage. It isn't just generalized evil, but it's the devil. He and his demons are out there, and they're working hard to keep us from following Jesus. Because they know they're condemned and they want us to be condemned as well. So the final area of discipline, after giving, after prayer, the final area that Jesus mentions in these three primary areas of discipline is the area of fasting. And fasting is probably the area that most American Christians are least acquainted with from our practice. Most American Christians don't ever fast. And fast is simply going out with food and or drink for spiritual purposes. And what Jesus said about that is this. When you fast, notice again, when you fast, not if. When you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. So what they did, the religious leaders, when they were fasting, is they would mess up their hair and they would put ashes on their head. And sometimes they would even tear their clothes. And, and everybody would go, oh, Joe's fasting today. You could tell. And in our lives, sometimes whenever, you know, we want to fast, what we might tend to do is we might tend to do that too, not put our makeup on if we're ladies, you know, not shave if we're guys, and we sort of look haggard and, 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 and rough, as my, my mother used to say, boy, you look rough today. 
You know, and, and we want people to notice that we're looking rough today because we're fasting. But Jesus said, don't do that. No, I mean, when you get up and you're fasting, if you're a lady, I mean, you look good today. If you're a guy, shave. And, and, and let people know nothing about this discipline in your life. You see, because the purpose is not to let people know that we're good people, because we aren't. We're not good people. We are forgiven people. And, and what we're supposed to do when we give and when we pray and when we fast is to do it privately, to do it to God's glory and honor. And, and the thing is, I mean, we also are supposed to do this regularly. Fasting is something we do regularly. Every year, whenever I'm going to go to Cuba, from like January on, every Monday I fast. And I don't make a deal about it, but I fast every Monday so that I can focus on my lessons that I'm going to teach, so I can pray for the people, so I can, you know, just ask God to to attend to that so that I'm, I'm ready. And maybe there's something going on in your life right now and you need to spend some focused time in prayer so uh, fasting would be a good thing. And I'm actually gonna recommend something. There's something coming up this Friday night at New Life. It's an overnighter and there's gonna be about 130 or 140 young people here, middle school and high school. I just said 130 or 40 young people right here in this room at, at New Life. That's pretty amazing in itself. But there's a guy named... Frank, who's going to do a gospel presentation. He did one back in the fall at, the, at the, uh, the, the retreat that the middle school and high school people had. But he's going to be here about 12.30 a.m. So that would be Saturday. And my encouragement is that you might spend some time this week fasting that God will bring 100 young people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ through that. That's my prayer. I've been praying it for already for a week. And I'm asking you to do the same thing. Because if that happens... If half of that happens, it will be the most significant event in the history of new life to this point. Because lost people matter to God. The decisions we make today matter for eternity. And if a middle school or a high school trusts Jesus this Friday night, well, this Saturday at 1230, that means they get a whole new life for the rest of their life here and forever. So fasting, one thing I'll say, sort of caveat about fasting is if you have a physical ailment that precludes you from fasting from food, you can fast from other things. Television, for example, some other video games, some kind of activity, and during that period that you're fasting from that, you focus on prayer and focus on what it is. The, the physical thing about fasting is when you do it from food, you know, you have that hunger thing, oh, I'm hungry, and you go, oh, I know why I'm hungry, because I'm focusing on this particular issue, and then you pray. So it's sort of like a reminder to pray. So I'm going to ask some questions in closing this morning. Here's the first one. What place do giving, praying, and fasting have in my daily life? Am I growing more disciplined in each area in my life? What are my motives for doing them? Is it my relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that I want to draw closer to the one true and living God? Or is it just to check these items off my spiritual to-do list? Because if that's the reason, then we might as well not do them. Jesus said if we're just doing it for show or we're just doing it so other people know we're doing it, that there's no reward for that. The reason we pray, the reason we give, the reason we fast is to draw closer to Jesus and become more like him. So here's the challenge for this morning. I will discipline myself to be a giver, a prayer, and to fast this week. I pray that we'll each invest more time than we ever have, perhaps, this week in giving, praying, and fasting. Not so that other people will see, but so God, our Heavenly Father, will know our love for him 
and we'll know that we're serious about living his life in our life and that we want to be like Jesus. So let's pray right now and ask for the power to do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, for his life, his death, his resurrection, his coming again. We thank you that right now he is at the right hand of you, our Heavenly Father, and he's interceding for us. And we ask today that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might be men, women, boys, and girls who love you enough to give, to pray, and to fast as a sign of that love and commitment. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.